0: Take just a moment and talk to you about something that God's been speaking to me about this week. Um, Fifty-four years ago, last week, uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas first aired. I was six, I think that's right, give or take, and I, I, I uh, still remember... Uh, finding that little, now we call them videos, but that little uh, film, uh, amazing. And in a time of such advanced, sophisticated technology, I find it still remarkable that 54 years later... uh, Something like a Charlie Brown Christmas, you know, could be so, it's so simple and yet it's so good and timeless. Um, I find that there's just, they're, to me, there's such a, a lovely appeal to it. Um, I don't know whether you, I've watched that, that little cartoon uh, 54 times. I watch it every year, and uh, I love it. Uh, I trust that many of y'all have watched it as well. Uh, recently, I was made aware of something about that Charlie Brown Christmas that I didn't know. And I'm going to point that out to y'all. Uh, I never, I, like I said, I've watched it 54 times, and I've never noticed it. And uh, what I'm going to talk to you about involves Linus. Uh, you know who that is. Um, He's Charlie Brown's best friend. And he's sort of the, the intellectual of all the peanut gang. And uh, But that's not what stands out. If I ask you to tell me the one thing that you know about Linus, you would all tell me that it's his blue security blanket. That's a big deal to him. In fact, for 54 years, uh, one of the ongoing... Discussions that uh, flows through the deal is all of the peanut characters trying to get him. They've shamed him. They've embarrassed him. They've reasoned with him. Uh, you know, Lucy has said, you know, it embarrasses me that my brother, uh, uh, you know, has this blanket. He ought not do that. So, you know, one of the things that's gone through, the, or themes that have gone through the whole deal has been this. this desire or mandate by the Peanuts characters to get him to lay down that blanket. But he couldn't. He, he wouldn't. He couldn't. He just couldn't lay it down. And you know, you, you would recognize with me that the, uh, the blanket represents Linus's fears and his attempt as a child to try to manage those fears. Uh, and at one point in that Christmas movie... Which we're going to watch here in just a second. This little snippet uh, at one point in the in the Charlie Brown Christmas movie, uh, in a, at a mo- in a moment of of true frustration and desperation, uh, Charlie Brown is really upset at the commercialization of Christmas. It's it's bothered him, and he's he's trying to fight against it. And uh, at some point. Uh, it, in his frustration and desperation, he cries out, isn't there anybody who can tell me the true meaning of Christmas? And lo and behold, without missing a beat, Linus goes, I can't. And he walks up on the, the stage and actually asks, <laughs> lights please, so that he's the focal point. And... Uh, Again, without hesitation, he begins to quote Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And um, anyway, when he does that, as he quotes that little passage from Luke 2, uh, where the angel is speaking to the shepherds, um, something significant occurs. And I don't know whether you've ever noticed it or not. i would never noticed it, but we're going to watch it and see if you can pick up on it, okay? Colin? Everything Everything I I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. Thank you, Colin. Did you see that? I've never, I've never noticed it. But how many episodes have you watched of Peanuts over your lifetime and you never see that boy without that blue blanket? And yet... While he declares the story of Christmas, the story of that baby being born in Bethlehem, something touches him deeply to the point that for the very first time, as far as I know, he lays down that which represents his fears. He made a connection between the birth of that baby and him having no need to fear. Somehow the birth of that baby touched him deeply and affected how he perceived the things that he was afraid of. I do not believe for one second that that is random or by accident. Charles Schultz, the the author of that, the creator of that, um, he was a devout Christian, a devout believer in Jesus and had an unbelievable faith in his Savior. And I believe he very intentionally designed that to communicate to us that one of the important messages related to the of Of that little baby in Bethlehem is that we do not have to let fear control and minimize and ruin our lives. I believe that Charles Schultz, if he was here today, would say that when the story of Jesus being born is clearly understood and believed it will somehow have a profound impact upon your fears. The first advent was God's plan and God's means of delivering us from the things that we fear. Let me read you a verse here from Hebrews chapter 2. The writer says that Jesus was born a human so that he could die. And free humanity from their lifelong enslavement to their fear of death. I would add, and I don't believe that I'm doing any disservice to the scriptures. That his death will not only deliver mankind from their fear of death. But it will deliver them from their fears of other things as well. What... Paul is saying there or whoever you think wrote Hebrews he's saying that Jesus came to Bethlehem and took on our nature so that 33 years later he could die in Jerusalem and he did that so that you and I can live fearless lives 1 John chapter 3 says that the reason that the Son of God came to the earth was to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? John chapter 10 says that the thief, the enemy, the devil, he has come only to steal, kill, and destroy. Isn't that what you fear? Isn't that what I fear? I fear people taking stuff that I believe belongs to me. I fear having the lives that I value, starting with mine, being taken from me. I fear all that I have spent my time and energy and livelihood creating, that somehow that could be destroyed. Proverbs chapter 29 says that the fear of man brings a snare. I want you to think about that just for a second. The fear of man is a snare in my life and in your life. My fear ensnares me. It enslaves me. Fear, what Solomon is saying there is that fear is continually... Tripping us up, lessening our lives, robbing us, and finishing all the things that are good and important in our lives and our relationships. So I want to ask you a question. It's not a rhetorical question, it's a real question that I want you to think about. What would it take Justin, David, John, Jerry, Jim, What would it take for you not to be afraid? What would it take? What would it take, Anna Catherine, Nana, Whitley, Barbara? What would it take for y'all to not have to live your lives afraid? How much money would you need in the bank? How good a doctor's report would you need? How great a job? How great a childhood? How great a marriage? How great would your children have to be? What would it take for you and me to live lives... That are not ensnared and enslaved by fear. How much unity in the world would we need? How much unity in this nation? In our own city? In your own family? How much, how much, how much unity would you need? How strong an economy? How low a rate of crime? How slow a rate of climate change? What would you need and what would I need to be able to live a life that is not significantly and negatively impacted by fear? I believe with all of my heart that the real message of Christmas, the design of Charles Schultz, was to communicate to us that we as believers in the reality and the the power of the life of that little baby that was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. We don't have to live lives that are full of fear. I believe by design we can live lives that are fearless rather than fearful. I mean, I think that's the message that the angels were trying to share with all the Christmas, the first Advent participants, whether it was Mary and Joseph or Zechariah and Elizabeth or Anna and Simeon or the shepherds or the wise men. I think that the message was you don't have to be afraid. And I think it's important For us all to be reminded. The Christmas message that those angels shared was not. You don't have to be afraid because there's nothing to fear. That is not what they said. There was plenty to fear. There were dangers that were very real. There were difficulties and problems Uh, and obstacles that were incredibly real. Herod was real. Rome was real. Those religious leaders were real. Ask the the participants of the first Christmas. What's going on in your life? You got any reasons to be afraid? I think Mary and Joseph would have said, at least they would have said, yeah, yeah, I'm 15 years old and I got a baby. And I got a husband that doesn't have a job. I'm I'm I'm, my my nursery is a barn. And I'm 70 miles away from the people that can help me with the with the rearing of this, this first baby. I think if you ask Joseph, Joseph, you got any reasons to fear? Yeah, I got reasons to fear. I got a family. There's all kind of unusual circumstances surrounding this deal. Makes me wonder, makes me question, makes me doubt. Yes, he does the right thing, but who in this room has not done the right thing while wondering in their minds what in the Sam Hill's going on? Ask the wise men. Got anything to fear? Yeah. I gotta go back and work for an ungodly. Government. My life's been changed. i got to go back and tell everybody a story that I believe, but they're not going to believe. It's not at all what I expected. Shepherds, you got anything to fear? Yeah, i got to go back to an occupation that I hate. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd. That was the crummiest job on the food chain. And they were sent. It's not that they came and worshiped the baby Jesus and they were all promoted to uh, uh, administrators in one of the big up and coming companies in Israel of the day. They went back to occupations that they hated. Zechariah, Elizabeth, you got any reason to fear? Yeah, we got reasons to fear. If we heard this right, While our son is going to be important and have incredible, immeasurable impact and give us great joy, there's something foreboding and ominous that's related to his birth and his life. And ultimately, he winds up in prison and dies by capital punishment. Sure, there were things to fear. The fears and the problems were real. Jesus was born into a world that was just as hard and cold, that lacked compassion and mercy, was filled with weaknesses and needs and problems, and mankind was still just as broken and selfish as they ever were. The angel did not say, fear not, for there's nothing to fear. The angel said, fear not, for today in Bethlehem is born unto you a Savior. Somehow, the message that was declared at the first Christmas was the message that The solution and the answer and the reason why I don't have to live a life filled with fear is wrapped up in the life of that little baby. God did not remove the dangers or the problems or the needs of the lives of those at that first Christmas. But what He did is that He made those participants, the shepherds and the wise men, Elizabeth and Zechariah, the shepherds and Mary and Joseph, and Anna and Simeon. He didn't take away their problems, their challenges, their dangers. What He did is He made them a promise. A promise that within the life of that little baby, you're going to find that which you long for the most and need the most that somehow within the life of that little baby you're going to find hope and peace and god made him a joy and life and god made him a promise that all the things that you fear in your life not one of them will be able to stop God's plans and God's blessings from coming into and dominating your life. And I just wanted to remind you and remind myself today that what was true for those first Christmas participants is true for us. We live in a very confusing, problem filled, fearful world. And those problems in our lives are real. And I'm not trying to stand up here and communicate otherwise. But your problems and my problems are no more big, significant, or real. Than the problems that were in the lives of those first Advent participants. And the coming of Jesus was God's promise. That he loved him and he loves us. And he was committed to them and he's committed to us. And while their problems and dangers and fears were real. God's love and God's power and God's involvement in their lives was more real. And I would suggest to you and I would suggest to the dude that that shaved me this morning. That while my problems and my fears are real. They wake me up in the middle of the night. They keep me. I'm going to sleep at night and they're the first thing that's on my mind when I finally do wake up. While they're real and in many ways significant God wants me to know that because that little baby came 2,000 years ago His love and His involvement and His commitment to me and to you is more real. Can I believe that? Can you? Will I believe that? Will you? I believe that's the message of Christmas. Uh, Kim and Jerry, would y'all come up here and help me? We try each week to end our service by taking the Lord's Supper. That's not some kind of a legalistic thing that we feel like we are commanded to do. And if we don't do it, we fall under bad favor with God. Uh, We don't believe that it's a lucky rabbit's foot type deal that if we do it, the week thereafter is somehow better (laughs) Um, we don't believe that this bread or the wine or juice on these trays is magical maybe it is I hope it is but I I don't believe it is I'd like to to think it was but I, I don't think it is we do this for two reasons first of all the Lord Jesus told us to he said when you gather together I wish you'd take bread and wine and eat it and drink it and remember, remember what I did for you. We also do it because it's a a little reminder that all is well. That in the midst of all of my problems and fears, something happened 33 years later After the birth of that little baby. That was so cosmic. So universal. So powerful. That it literally was able to make that which was defiled beyond redemption clean. And that which had been so alienated... From the God of the universe. that There was no way to get back home. And yet. I was invited back home. I was adopted into God's family. And I was made promises. Of love and forgiveness. And a bright future. That I still cling to, to this very day. And so we eat this bread and we drink this wine just to declare, we believe. And that's what our hope's in, and that's what we're waiting for. And so if that is your belief, that it's your hope, that's your declaration, I invite you to, to come and eat and drink with us and to celebrate not only the birth of this little baby, but his life and his death and his resurrection as well. You might, we, have many, we have many guests with us today. You might say, well, you know, uh, I'm not a member or... So I didn't ask if you're a member. You know, do you have to be a certain denomination? I didn't mention any of that, those kind of things, okay? Um, if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, then I invite you to come. Well, what if I hadn't lived an exemplary life this week? I yelled at the dude at Target and, uh, you know... Put some extra pepper in my husband's soup. Because he was mean to me. Uh, that's alright too. You, you come on. That, that the Lord will, will, will be. He joyfully wants to forgive us of our shortcomings. And to uh, let us experience the joy. And the reminder of his great love for us. So you come if you'd like to. You're welcome. There'll be people by the windows on both sides. That would love to pray with you. If you need prayer, please go to them and let them pray for you.